And sometimes, you know, I mean, at least like in my young days, I also got influenced by a lot of people telling me, oh, you should be doing this. You shouldn't be doing this. Everyone is a consultant, right? But somewhere I always feel like, no, but I want to do this. I know it's hard. I know it's, you know, but I want to do this. I want to see, I want to pursue. Maybe I'll fail, but I still want to give it a shot. This is the Indian News Podcast, stories of success from leaders and change makers of Indian origin. Why have Indians achieved success across so many different disciplines around the globe? I have no idea, but let's find out together. Because every story is unique, and we have a unique story with us today. I'm very excited to have Nikhil Deshpande with us today. He's the Chief Digital and AI Officer for the Georgia Technology Authority. And he's played leadership roles for digitization for the state of Georgia. I invited him on this show as he has tremendous experience in the world of design, user interface, and artificial intelligence. And with the upcoming transformative nature of AI, I was curious as to how he saw AI changing human interaction as we move forward. Welcome, Nikhil. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on our podcast. Thank you so much, Sanjay. It is my honor and a pleasure to be here talking with you and happy to have a great conversation. I'm equally looking forward to learning from you and having just a great chat. Well, then let's go. Nikhil, to you know, talk about where you are and how you are, kind of have to go back to the beginning of everything, which is the transformative years, the transformative things that happened in your life. Can you tell our listeners where were you born and also what, what your parents and siblings, please walk or take us right to the beginning. Let's go right back to the beginning. Sure, absolutely. So I was born and raised in Mumbai, in a suburb of Mumbai called Vile Parle. And it might, you know, for some of the newer generations may sound shocking, but I was absolutely born and raised in a middle-class family, but we still had our own house, our own bungalow in Mumbai, right? So now that I tell this to anyone, they're just like, wait, what do you mean it is? But that was the reality. I mean, my entire street was just a series of these little bungalows and we knew every neighbor and not just on our street, but also the neighboring streets. And, you know, people would, obviously this is way before Google Maps and people would just like stumble upon asking, hey, do you know? where so-and-so lives and we'll be like, oh yeah, just go two streets down and whatever. So grew up in that environment. And one of the houses where it was pretty much the hub of culture in across the neighborhood, because we used to have a lot of artists show up and we used to have metals in the house. And it, it was just a very different world growing up. So I grew up in a family that was very much enjoying of culture, music, arts. My mom is an artist. My paternal granduncle, you know, he was a performing artist. He was a writer. He was also a musician. His younger brother was a visual artist, a painter. My granddad, although he was an accountant by trade, he used to play awesome tabla. So they, they used to have like literally classical music playing all the time. And that's how it was, right? That was music for me. So when I heard film music, I immediately gravitated towards that because for me, music was just a series of abstract notes. And as a kid, it was really hard for me to understand like why people are enjoying this so much. But when I finally listened to film music, I was like, oh, this is fun. And then as I sl- slowly grew older, I realized like the nuances and I started appreciating like the value of classical music and slowly all the classical forms of Indian arts. Although today I pretty much delve and, you know, kind of walk around in technology and AI and all of the emerging ideas that we are seeing across being implemented somewhere as a hermit, I just go into my shell and enjoy this simple joys of music or just pure simple flute or some instrumental where it it just feels like home. So, you know, you thought every house was full of, I mean, your mind that this was the norm 
that you had music artists coming over. Mom was an artist. What did your dad do? My my dad is a business person, and although he is a really good tabla player, and he is not a tansen but a kansen in classical music, he is a really avid listener, and his business is of transportation where he rents vehicles to companies. But as a passion, he either gives pro bono vehicles to artists or gives them just at the cost of doing business. So that is something he has been doing for many years. And that also is something he has, you know, enjoyed just the fact that like he gets to interface with the likes of you, you name it. And he has interacted with them. And those folks have come to our house, Pandit Shivkumar Sharma, Pandit Bhimsen Joshi Ji, Zakir Hussain Ji. These are the folks, I mean, honestly, I had the pleasure and the honor of interacting quite a bit and seeing them up close perform, obviously. But I think everything in our house was so much circled around arts and music. So growing up, it was really so much fun. I have a younger sister. She's also into music. Of course, she is by trade. She is a nutritionist, but, you know, like everyone in their second life, I guess, is very much a music connoisseur and also performing arts. We enjoyed each of us. Like my mom also acted back in the day in plays. Like she was a professional actor before she got married. And each of us, my sister, me, we both have written plays, acted in plays in our college days. So that thread of performing art and music and, you know, just having some level of culture uh, alive has always stayed with us. Wow. An amazing experience. I mean, you talked about Zakir said and some of these other artists for people who obviously don't know these are kind of the musical titans in many cases of India and continue to be. So you really were in many ways, very privileged to have been amongst and obviously with your mother and things like that. So there was always that cultural thing, even dad, even though dad was a business person, he was supportive of the arts by giving artists, you know, all the things that you uh, were doing. How were you at school, Nikhil? I and mean, what were your inclinations when you were going to school? So, in my schooling days, of course, I was very much gravitated towards visual art. And I just cruised through the schooling academics just for the sake of, I, I would say, just for the sake of graduating. And then I was lucky to actually get into JJ School of Arts. And that's what I did my undergrad as an artist. So truly graduated as a, back in the day, what we used to be called commercial or applied artist. So it was, we got the same training as any other artist would, but also combined with a lot of design. And, you know, that's when I learned the distinction between art and design and slowly gravitated more towards the design piece of it, because really most of my friends who graduated along with me are very well settled into the advertising world, as we see today in Mumbai. And, and in Mumbai is really kind of like the mecca of advertising when it comes to Indian or even like Eastern advertising. And they have been doing some amazing work and it's fulfilling to kind of see from further off like what they are doing there. But it was, again, another extension of my childhood where JJ was just, you know, art all around me. And, and JJ says somewhat like validating because in school, I was always seen as a one-off. Because everybody else was so focused on being an engineer or a doctor or like one of the four traditional, I would say. I would say two. We, on this show, we call it the two profession rule. Doctor, the doctor, engineer, and the two grade rule, A and A plus. But anyway, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Absolutely. The, the two ladders to vertical mobility. So I was like far away from those. And I was but, very- uh, Did you feel awkward about that at all? I enjoyed it. So I felt like that was the right thing to do. Nobody at my home made me feel like it was the wrong thing. So I felt like that's where I kind of got my confidence that, you know, I'll figure something out from this, but this is what I enjoy doing. 
And that's what I pursued. And that's probably the reason I was probably the only person from my school who have ventured into something like this. Well, actually, I take it back. Two of us ventured into JJ School of Art. And from there on, it just felt like I found my people, right? Because everybody there was driven by art and everybody was an artist. And, and you just walk around the campus of JJ and it was beautiful. And I'm sure it's the same thing right now. You have these walls painted with illustrations. I wouldn't even call it graffiti because it was like pure illustration. There was, you know, an intent. Yes, it was, it was like murals and murals of walls and people just like sitting by the roadside sketching something. It was right across from the VT station in Mumbai. So you would see people sitting on platforms. Sometimes I used to be one of them. You know, just sit and sketch people. You know, that was your homework to be able to sketch at least like 50 people in different poses and different situations. So we constantly were in the world of visual arts. And Nikhil, just for our listeners who don't know about JJ, JJ, so when you think of IIT for, let's say, STEM or stuff like that, would you say JJ is the, for visual arts? That would be a fair equivalent? Absolutely. I mean, now in, in 2023, there are a lot of other schools which are doing a great job. Yeah, comparable. But back in the day, JJ probably was one of the only schools that you know had a degree program. And this also goes back to like, the, the distinction between, oh, I want to pursue a degree program, not a diploma program. And JJ used to give out a degree, and that's why it was kind of like the golden gold star of visual arts. But you're absolutely right. In the campus, we had four different schools. Uh, we had applied art or commercial art, as we call it. Then we had fine art. We had architecture. And then we had sculpture. And, you know, the, the, the campus itself was magical. You just like go around and there are people rehearsing plays, someone's singing, someone's working on a sculpture, someone's sketching. Almost everybody had a cigarette in their hand and just kind of gazing into the ether, thinking of the next idea. So it was kind of an extension of foam, not the cigarette, but I'm saying is kind of the culture extension. As far as parents are concerned, there was no pressure. I want you to you know, going to JJ, I don't want you to go into JJ. It was cool, whatever you picked. So actually, that's where my parent, parents also had a big role to play. My mom was a JJ student in her day. So my mom was a JJ student. My grand uncle used to teach in the fine arts department, but also at JJ. So JJ was kind of in family and my I guess, plans to be able to get into JJ at some point. I think it was very much encouraged by the family and they were all hoping that I could get in because I grew up hearing all these stories about JJ. And I think somewhere, a lot of like the family setup also matters quite a bit. And like I mentioned early on, my grand uncle, he is, you know, still a very known name within the Maharashtrian circles. He was a playwright. He was an actor. He made a couple movies. He wrote about 40 books. He was an avid harmonium player, but also having all of these artistic abilities and gifts, he went to law school, became a lawyer and did nothing with it. So he also found his calling through doing many different several things, but he, there is no comparison. He is just out there. And I don't think you may find any Maharashtrian person who might not know him. And like you said, I was absolutely privileged to and lucky to be born into that family. And he really was the magnet of pulling the entire community together to be able to host these people, to have performances at houses. Or even after he started living in Pune, you know, people used to still visit just because they wanted to visit his home in Mumbai. Did you look up to him? Oh, absolutely. Were you close to him? Well, I got probably, I want to say, the first 19 years of my life that I could see him closely, interact with him. I still listen to his audios, listen to read his literature, because he wrote some 40 books. Most of them were, were humor. You know, it was fiction, it was humor, but he also has written a lot of serious profiles of people. He was very drawn to people. He just loved people. So that's why he used to always be amongst people. He has written on people. He has... What is his name, Nicole? 
Yeah, his his name is B.L. Deshpande. In in Marathi, we call him Pula Deshpande, or sometimes like the close family and friends call him. There is actually a little Netflix movie on him right now on Netflix. You know, he he was really the driving force of having this cultural excitement within our family, and even to this day, he is revered and worshipped on all these new social channels where they create accounts as a tribute to him and they play his clips, they play his songs. So that has stayed with me. And, so that and, has stayed with you. Yeah. And seeing him interact, he was very down to earth, very much a learner, very much curious. And, and seeing him up close, seeing his quest for knowing everything, wanting to know the details of things, but purely as a student, as a learner, always reminded me that like, regardless of what you achieve, you know, you're still learning from someone all the time. You always benefit from interactions. That has been a blessing that I feel like is still with me today. Do you aspire to be like him in some ways? In my dreams. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to be one hundredth of what he has achieved. Uh, You're very humble. But but that's that's good to know. Uh, What about mom and dad? Were you close to them also? Yes, absolutely. Very much close to my mom and dad, my sister. You know, my mom, like I said, is an artist, went to JJ. She still practices, she still paints. So that's great. My dad being in business, but he has always been very supportive of arts, not just in his business towards other artists, but also within the house where he could have very well just put his foot down and said, nope, you're going into business. No way you're doing arts. But you know, he couldn't. I mean, not that he wanted to, but he didn't do that. He always supported me. He was, he was always like, if that makes you happy, if that's where you see you belong, then go ahead and be the best at that. <laughs> well, that's uh, very cool. Now, were you in a dorm there or were you day boarding at JJ? I was day boarding. I, I, so you didn't stay in a dorm there? I No. Why? Why? I'm just curious. I don't think that was an option, to be perfectly honest, because anyone who lived in Mumbai uh, pretty much commuted to JJ. And I am so glad that I did, because in my commute, I met my wife. Uh. <laughs> yes, totally worth it. Totally, totally worth all those long hours on trains Absolutely. and stuff. <laughs> and now it seems so far back, but, you know, we used to have a seven o'clock train in the morning that I used to get in Parla. And then it stopped around seven, four minutes after or something in Santa Cruz. That's where my wife used to get in the same train. And we were in a group of close-knit friends. And we used to all travel together, go to JJ from Parla, change to the harbor line, and then go all the way to VT. So to this date, like all those friends are so close-knit we still are in touch with each other. And the best part is like now all of our kids are in touch with each other. Unbelievable. This is the train gang to JJ. This is the train gang to JJ. And that's the beauty of, uh, I want to say, like the Indianness of us being here and explaining this to someone. You know, we are a land of people and we just find connections where we can. And whenever we find that wavelength that matches, something clicks and we don't think twice before calling someone a friend, right? And I think that just accelerates our our friendship. And that's what happened. Like I had no idea or I still date, didn't know so many people what they did, whatever it is, all that person was my train friend. Because we used to see each other at that one particular train. And if I don't see that person for two days or three days or vice versa, they would be very concerned. What happened? Are you okay? I didn't see Right. So I'm, I'm sure this is not specific to Mumbai, but other places also. It happens in India. But that was the commute for five years. You know, it was about 45 minutes to an hour one way to go to college and back, but also with these giant portfolios where we had to carry our paintings and all the art material with us. But you enjoyed your five years at JJ, oh. right? Absolutely. I would one of the best times? That. One of your best times in one life? One of my best times. One of those best because times. Because of the relationships, the culture, the environment? It was a turning point where I grew up in, I grew up in this little suburb. Primarily back in those days, 
I would say majority of the people living in that suburb were all Maharashtrians. I went to kindergarten, I went to my primary school, went to the secondary school, high school, everything in that one suburb. And then suddenly you explode out of that, got on, get on the train, go where you meet people, not just from everywhere else in Bombay, but everywhere else in India. And, and, and sometimes out of India too. Sometimes out of India, you're absolutely right. There were people from Nepal, there were people from Mauritius. And it just, it just completely you know, opened my blinders. And that's where I felt like, oh, wow, there is so much more to this world, this life. And thankfully, because I always wanted, I was curious about other cultures, other experiences. I thankfully made so many friends. And to till date, we are friends. Outside your cocoon that you had, you and how was it relating to these uh, people outside? You didn't have any issues? Uh, because uh, you spent uh, maybe 13, 14 years in that drink, the same cocoon. How was it? Yeah. Um, meeting these new people. It was very interesting because, first of all, like I had to suddenly get used to different accents. I had to get used to speaking, I want to say, Hindi in a sense of you speak with someone who is a Hindi native. I mean, that would just like laugh at my face the way I would speak Hindi. But also someone coming from outside of India, they would have a completely different accent even if they're speaking English. Beyond the superficial adjustment of just trying to understand what they're saying, I realized that like they, these guys are new here. You know, They are new to Bombay. And regardless of when you come to Bombay from wherever you are, it can get pretty overwhelming. So I, along with some of my friends, we always felt like, oh, you know what? We are local. We should help them with whatever they need. So we started spending time with those folks as well, maybe sharing some excitement around like, you should go check this out. Or sometimes you would go together in the quest of doing that and also learning from them, knowing what their experiences were. I think I never really felt like they were any different. It, it just felt like if I were to go to a strange place or a different place, I would be the same, just trying to struggle to find what things are. Everyone spoke vernaculars, right? Right over like all the, the Chaprasis and all the support staff in our college, they all spoke Marathi. So it was fascinating to see these folks adjust and adapt to learning Marathi words just so that they were able to communicate with these. These were just like these little micro lessons that I was constantly absorbing every day. And somewhere between that, it just felt, you know, wow. And so when I used to come back to my cocoon and speak to some of my friends who were still in college in Parla, it was almost the wildcat coming back and talking to the house cats, like, this is out there in the world. You better get ready. Right. There is so much more than what you're just discussing and obsessing about. That's uh, very interesting. And maybe that kind of prepared you for your journey. So then what happened uh, after JJ? Tell us, you graduated from JJ, right? Yes. After five years. After five years, after graduating from JJ, my options were to either, you know, join an ad agency and start working in advertising or pursue something else. And I remember back then having a conversation with my wife, well, then my, I guess, girlfriend, where, you know, she knew about this industrial design program at IIT Bombay. There was there is an industrial design center, one of one of the finest institutions, I should say, for design. And the only problem was that it's IIT Bombay. You can only dream of getting in. And me being me back then in the twenties, I mean, we, you know, we we wish that like we had the energy of the twenties and the wisdoms of our fifties, right? But back then, I was just like, oh come on, forget it. It's IIT. There's no way we can get in. Let's just start working. And she's well, you know, give it a shot. Both of us applied over there. Unfortunately, she didn't get in. Who really wanted to get in, and I did. You know, to IIT Pawai for industrial design. Correct. Yes, to IIT Pawai for industrial design. So I. I and what does industrial design mean? Just briefly for our listeners, because who, the, who might not know what that means. Sure. So the industrial design center in IIT Pawai has two focus areas. One is product design and one is visual communication, or at least what it was back then. They may have evolved into something else now. 
product design is what we typically know as just using any products. So right from the conceptualization of those products to understanding why someone would need this product, what is the need, what is the problem they're trying to solve, to how can I physically design it and then actually bring it to life. And on the visual communication side, it was the visual aspect of it. It wasn't in 3D as much as the product design, but it was mostly in 2D. So we, we learned the science behind design, to be perfectly honest with you. In JJ, it was more, the focus was more on creativity and, you know, application of your ideas towards selling products for the lack of a better sense. But in IT, I think what was really fascinating was we learned the ergonomics of why you would use a certain type. Why would you use a certain color? What does a certain color convey to you? What does a certain font face convey to you? And thankfully, we had one of the best professors from all over India as our resident professors or visiting professors. I'm telling you, these were walking scholars and, and worshipped by industry across the world. And I, again, I feel, you know, I may, I don't really, I'm not a big believer in, in birth and previous birth and this and that, but I do feel like, I mean, somewhere I may have done something. Good karma. But, Maybe good, good karma, karma that really placed me in institutions like this. And I was able to I was able to actually see these folks up close and learn from them. Difference, uh, just briefly, difference between JJ and uh, IIT, both very prestigious institutions. What would be the quickly the difference in your view? Both organizations, I mean both these institutions, you're absolutely right, very prestigious. JJ yeah. was just like full of energy and creativity. Because every aspect and every branch faculty of JJ dealt with art. Whereas IIT was a good balance of people who did engineering, people who did different faculties, and then design, right? So when I, in IIT, actually, I stayed at the dorms. And that's where, you know, I actually got to interact with so many people from all over India who came there for engineering, what they did. And when we shared what we did I mean, I always found what they did fascinating, and they found what I did fascinating. But I always felt, oh my God, I was always surrounded by such smart, brainy people. I had to give me a lot of complex. That's the conversation we've had multiple times here. You, it gave you complex, so how did you deal with that? You know, once you openly tell everyone that, except that, you know what, I'm not the smartest person here, but I'm probably the the smartest learner here. And I'm here to learn from you all, even though all of us are students. I feel like even they open up to you about their vulnerabilities. And I I, I was thankfully able to make so many friends. We are still, again, friends across- At IIT? At, from IIT, absolutely. We try and meet up once every few years. And it, it was, again, like one of those just magical times because we- stayed in a hostel. The way I felt like I broke out from my cocoon when I went to JJ, now I'm staying at a hostel with all these folks. So I felt like that was a completely different level of responsibility and also freedom that I was getting where I could just come back to my dorm room at midnight or 1 a.m. from my department and still find people chatting around and join them. And we are like chatting about someone's experiences in some village in India you know, and it was just fascinating. And it's like 3 a.m. before we go to bed. So it was, would you say overall great experience despite the fear factor at IIT? The fear factor, I think, died out pretty much in the first semester. And then once you pretty much saw everyone as a human, I think that was like the freeing moment. But absolutely, it was such a great experience. Those two years, I, I cherished them very fondly. So you had some phenomenal experiences. So what happened once you graduated from, oh, by the way, what happened to your, at that time, girlfriend? She didn't get in and you were in IIT. So what happened there? You know, I always hoped that she would get in the next year, but then she started working and then she started working in design. And we actually always traded notes and experiences about, well, this is the academic side of it. And then she actually was getting some really good field experience. She pretty much stayed in tune of what was happening. Uh, yeah. Post-IIT, then what happened? Post-IIT, I, I came to the U.S. Uh, Why did you, I mean, 
close knit family mumbai kid all along didn't even go outside mumbai for he got into two of the most prestigious institutions in india and that too in mumbai and now uh, what how did this young man decide to come to the us you nailed it because maybe i was young if it was today i probably would not have no i think it was the promise the excitement of what's beyond this and you know i had created a documentary in iit i was very much drawn to just I, i think i feel like just like my granddad i always have been like drawn to the the personalities of people what they do how they do it it's not that i want to be bfs with everybody but i always find like the idiosyncrasies in behaviors and personalities in a sense of it's always interesting and i feel like it's a story to be told so this was back in 99 i had produced a documentary on the street professions of mumbai and these were the street professions which were very much entrenched in the indian heritage of the artisans but they also were kind of evaporating you know with the modernization and commercialization of things so there were these traditional artisans or performers who did that because it was in their family but then next generations after their education would choose not to do it so i felt like i should document these folks before they disappear so i started out with just like my research with a couple of them and pretty soon saw that there was an ocean of such folks and i really created a documentary worth an hour out of that which i edited down to 30 minutes but still there was a lot to be told from a story perspective and this was really like the story of mumbai a changing metropolis where slowly this old traditions were dying out and being replaced by modernization replaced by law and order where they don't allow you know certain performers on streets because they create noise right or or they use animals in certain cases so whatever the politics behind it is the fact was that these were the last few days that people would see and enjoy these folks so i i documented them and i created that documentary and then someone suggested that like you should send this out to other places and i happened to send it to the savannah college of art and design and they saw it and they actually gave me a scholarship to pursue film and video up here so that's and also my again then fiance you know was looking to do her masters somewhere in design she was very academically inclined and she worked and she still wanted to do something further we decided to pursue this so i came to savannah she came to boston and we each pursued our masters programs so then after i you came to savannah for doing that How was that experience uh, Nikhil? How uh, it was the complete opposite of what I was in India because suddenly you find yourself in such a small place compared to growing up in Mumbai, right? And I've been Samana is beautiful. It's it's one of the gorgeous towns I ever lived in, but you know, other than the quaint small town feel which you enjoy for maybe a weekend, but then on day 4 you're like okay now what but it was a college town back then i enjoyed getting around just walking to my classes i didn't have to hop on trains to get to places but that feeling that oh my god you're removed from your world and you're here all by yourself that was daunting i mean thankfully i had a very loving aunt and uncle up in new jersey who were my family here but other than that other than having a cousin there was nobody my cousin was in florida he was my next closest family to my family in india and that's it so that was daunting that was very scary for the first 6 months because you had to just relearn everything you know learn accents you have to learn the way of life how things are done over here and this is again way back right i mean now it's very different now when i tell people that i'm, I'm from india they ask me which part and there's a good chance they'll be in there but in savannah when someone asked me where you're from and i said india they were like oh indiana 
not Indiana, it's India. So I was like, where is that? So it was like a geography lesson, right? So I feel like now we've come a long way from there, but it was scary. It was scary to, you know, just be someplace absolutely new. But again, it was a challenge as well. So it was also something that I felt like, okay, I want to do this. I want to prove that I can do this. So that Did you ever think that you want to go back ever during oh, that I, time? I still think at some point I no, would. No, during that time, especially <laughs> the first six months. Not actually. I think okay. the first six months, as much as I was struggling with everything, like going back was just not an option. I would have seen that as a failure. I would have seen that as, you know, like I couldn't do it. That's why I came back. I always felt like I will go back someday, but I will go back on my own terms. I want to, again, I feel like I want to prove something. One big difference also, Sanjay, was that in Bombay, especially in JJ, everybody knew me by my family, by my granduncle, and I completely got out of that world over here. So now everyone who knew me for me. Yeah. Um, I think it was good in a way that really put an onus on that I need to prove myself. Like I cannot have my granduncle's tailwinds to help me get through a cause or get me through anything. And I never used it for anything. You know, that's a different story. But still, like when someone or even professors in JJ, when they found out who I was, I always struggled with this bias of favorability. And, and towards you. Towards me. Exactly. Right. Towards Not me. against you, but towards you. Right. Towards me. Because yeah. and I didn't want that. I was amongst with my group of friends and I didn't want to... I didn't want to be made feel special or anything because I was just one of the folks. And that was all gone over here. And in a, in a certain way, that was also freeing because now I feel like, you know, if someone likes me, they like me because of who I am. They have no idea who my background or my family is. That's a good point. And obviously, you got a lot of people to like you. And then you've got into the state government, Nikhil, how was that, this journey? Just quickly walk us through, obviously, now you've been working, I think, for the state of Georgia for a long time. It's, it seems like you are a Georgian for life now. <laughs> I have definitely lived in Georgia longer than I have lived in India. Yes, absolutely. You can call me a Georgian in the sense that I can pick nuances and some of the southern pressures that obviously only locals can, but the Georgia is a great place and I, I love Georgia. It is so diverse. It is beautiful. And I live in Atlanta. And again, Atlanta is such a lovely city with a mix of, you, you really have all the benefits of a city, but also you just drive oh, an hour away and then boom, you're like in the wilderness and it's, you know, the outskirts are so beautiful. My journey to state was, again, a complete, I would say, accident where towards the end of my master's, I ended up doing a master's in interaction design. And I think there was a lot of embedded advertising design teaching in me that do something that benefits somebody. And even in my advertising, I always found myself leaning more towards public service announcements, or doing things that benefited people. And when I saw that the state of Georgia is looking for people with a similar background as mine, because they really wanted to come up with an innovation pad and have people-centric approach towards service delivery, I felt I could make a difference and I could do something that could you know, benefit from what I have learned and I could put things to use. And as I started working, as I started working on projects, thankfully, I, I really immediately saw the impact that some of these things were making on people, right? I mean, we always talk about millennials who really are trying to make an impact and are drawn towards an impact. I feel like any of us, if we are able to see, if we're lucky enough to see the impact of our work, in a positive way, it, it really fuels you to do more. And again, I was lucky here as well to be able to see that. Little changes, little enhancements that we did in services, we could see how it benefits 
people, we could see their engagement getting better. And that just kept propelling me to, you know, doing more. And even though I've been with the state for a long period of time, I don't think I've done one thing for more than probably four years. I always kept changing my focus or my overall landscape to expanding to from design to user experience to having certain aspects of technology redesigned in a way that were user-centric. So that just kept happening, which, which helped me stay back. My, always, my intention always was to do this for some amount of time and then jump off, do something else. But I, I just kept enjoying doing this. So I'm like, unless I see the need to absolutely just drop this and go somewhere else, I'm going to do this because this is fulfilling work for me. You know, that makes a lot of sense because people don't realize the amount of services they need from the government. You know, we only look for the government when we are in trouble, whether it's a hurricane or social security and stuff like that. And then we say, hey, it's, it, it, things don't work. But uh, I think folks like you are making a huge difference because I know at the federal level also a lot of the people who are making that change. At the top of the discussion, I talked about AI, you have a dual role AI design. And just very briefly, do you think our interactions, not with computers, but your and my interaction now, well, it has changed. You are on a Zoom video now, you could say that's a COVID effect, et cetera. But when you look into the future, whether it's two years, five years, 10 years, I don't know, do you think AI is going to change our interaction at all? AI will influence certain things for sure. I'm talking about interaction because that's what you specialize in, right? Yes. I think AI will probably influence the, the channel of interaction. But today, if you and I were to, for the next hour, just talk about music, you know, the topic of interaction, the gist of interaction, I think that really depends on us and how much we control that. But AI can definitely help us in probably giving us all this needed citations or where it's just, hey, what is that song? And you can just hum a tune and then boom, you find that song. AI can make that possible. And I'm, I'm purely just at this point speculating, looking into the future, how it can aid interactions. But I, I still feel like we still have to find that common thread of association to have a fulfilling interaction. AI can on only facilitate it and make it a little more fruitful. Um, that's a good point. That's a good point. When you were to look at life inflections, and again, I'm just trying to pick up from maybe having someone like the uncle that you had, you know, going to JJ, going to IIT and coming to Savannah, would you say some of those were some of your big inflection points? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anything else? Any other inflection points? Because you didn't go to JJ, life would have been very different. Mm -hmm. If you didn't have a, a mentor or an inspirational role like you had in the family, maybe life, you know, your interests, et cetera, could have been different. If you didn't go to IIT, maybe you would not be in Savannah, et cetera. If you didn't come to Savannah, maybe you would have. So are there any other inflection points? Because people listen to hear uh, about inflection points and decisions we take, in some cases, rightly, wrongly. Are there any other inflection points that I missed? So while I was trying in IIT, I was also trying to get into the Film Institute in FTI. FTI, because I wanted, my granddad was my, you know, role my, model. And my role model. And I was, I guess, just trying to walk in his footsteps. But I think from a perspective, of, I wanted to get into films. So that's something I wanted to do very, but actually it was my granddad who kind of advised me against it. He, I think he probably saw me in who I was and he was like, you probably don't want to do that. He has focus on IIT. I think that would be a better path for you. And regrets? I don't have regrets. I mean, I, there's no reason for me to have regrets. I think regardless, if I had done that and pursued, I, I may have done something different altogether. But the way it turned out, 
I, I definitely don't have regrets. And I think I always feel like he probably saw something that maybe at some point I'll maybe realize or see, or maybe I won't, but because I admired him so much and I idolize him so much, I trusted his judgment. And I trusted the fact that he advised me to not get into that. And I followed it. For people who might not know FTII, which is a film television institute, and Pune is also one of the more prestigious, at least at that time, and maybe even now, from you know, uh, film and television training. We've talked about the journey here, and obviously you have a huge journey ahead. Where do you see this journey going? Music, movies, what do you think? And obviously this world hard to predict, but take a shot. I would love to, I guess, come back to kind of closing the circle with getting more into music and arts. I have started spending some more time. I'm learning classical music for the last few years. I actually started in COVID. So I've started doing that. I used to learn a little bit when I used to be in it in India, but I just kind of picked up and are spending more time doing that. Uh, while I'm doing that, I'm also, the beauty of, I guess, again, digital is that someone can be sitting in India and I can still be taking classes from that person. So someone is sitting in Jharkhand right now and teaching me music production, audio production. And I spend some time over the weekend learning that, thankfully, because my experience in learning anything digital I'm very comfortable with technology. I don't have that a problem of trying to understand how to use software. I really can focus on the teachings of it and quickly adapt and learn. I'm also trying to do uh, vocal and recordings. That part I've started pursuing. And it, it, that's the part that just completely, I, I don't have to meditate separately. You know, this is meditation for me. Like I just completely get immersed in it for an hour or two. And when I walk away from it, I just feel so refreshed. Even if I have done like the most strenuous mixing in my life, like I just feel refreshed doing that. So that, and then also something that I've been talking about, but I haven't really done it is visual like painting. I, I, I want to get back to that as well. So I feel like as I slowly taper down on my actual work, uh, I want to be spending more time doing this. But I have a feeling there'll be many mehfils at your home also, like there used to be at your parents' home too. Now that we've talked about the future, maybe we'll just for a second delve into the past. Let's say you're talking to Nikhil, who's just come out of JJ, and pretend it's uh, me just come out of JJ, what would be your advice to uh, Nikhil? Just one or two things that, from what you know, that you would tell. Again, because this is a learning for our audience. I guess anyone graduates and they have kind of crossed that milestone of, I'm no longer a student and now I'm eligible for the workforce. They see options as far as what they could be doing. Sometimes there are options that seem like it's an easy way. There are some options that seem like it aligns more with my dream, but it's really hard. All I can say is that if they do something that really is their passion, it will always stay fresh for them. Just the way today, I really enjoy doing my job, my work, because it involves people. It involves me solutioning for people. And then I see how people benefit from it. And I didn't know this when I graduated from JJ, but eventually you kind of land upon it. I have seen a lot of copywriters and worked with them. And they'll tell you that like you can easily write a long paragraph about something, fine. But if you try to explain the exact same concept in two lines, it's very hard. And in one line, it's the hardest, right? So eventually through our journey, we kind of come down to that one line, but it, it takes effort. But I think in general, in our gut, we know which direction we want to be going. And sometimes that feels right, but logistically it feels really hard. But if that's the case, I, I advise just to keep pursuing on. Things will fall in place. Honestly, I feel like when someone intends to do something and is determined to do something, God sends people to help them and make things happen for them. And you know, luckily, thankfully, I've experienced that. Like, there was no reason for someone to help me 
that they did, and that just opened certain avenues for me. And I've tried to do it for other people as well. There's that circle of karma, as you mentioned. But as long as someone is excited about something, just follow that, and you can never go wrong. So what you said, and you touched on something else, I'll come to that, is follow your gut is what you're saying that you tell Nikhil because... You know, you you know what you sometimes just afraid of following what you know is what you're trying to say, right? Yeah, and sometimes at least like in my young days, I also got influenced by a lot of people telling me, "Oh, you should be doing this. You shouldn't be doing this." Everyone is a consultant, right? But somewhere, I always feel like, "No, nah, but I want to do this. I know it's hard. I know it's, but I, I want to do this. I want to see. I want to pursue. Maybe I'll fail, but I I still wanna I still want to give it a shot." And I feel like. As long as you have that drive, if someone doesn't have it, then fine, just follow whatever the norm is. Not everyone has it, but you know most people do. So even if you have a little bit of a lingering of drive that I really want to pursue this, I think they should totally follow their instinct. That's great advice. Uh, you just touched on something, and I've discussed this with almost all our guests. Has there been a role of mentors in your life in this journey? I mean, and they come in all shapes and sizes. Obviously, there's a uh, couple of them in your family that you just talked about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't think anyone can claim to succeed without having mentors, right? I mean, right from our mythology, we know that the ace archer like Arjun had a mentor. Kalovia had an indirect mentor that you know he looked up to. That person might not have directly taught him. But I think mentorship, you're absolutely right, comes in different shapes and forms. And I've had such a great fortune of having mentors all through my career. I think the biggest mentors I had were at home itself, as you said, right? I mean, my granddad was such a prominent figure, but even through my dad, my mom, you know, they instilled values in me. Then I also feel like when I met my girlfriend, now my wife, in, in many ways, she has mentored me in a sense of grounding me to follow my passion. I always wanted to do 10 different things. And she always used to drive me down to focusing on, well, how about you do these two first and then let's scale up or whatever. Then in my college, I had some amazing professors. Um, I'm still in touch with them in JJ and IIT at SCAD. And then even when I started working, I've had mentors where I would just reach out to them. My first request to them was just like, hey, I need help. I've seen you do this. I really admire how you do this. I need help. Can you tell me? Can you? And and sometimes just I used to just ask them out like, hey, can can we meet for coffee? And I just have five questions for you. And I think that is something I feel it's very important for the younger generation because to your point earlier, technology kind of has lessened that human touch in people reaching out to people. In people, there is nothing wrong in showing vulnerability. You know, it's okay. Like you need help. So there's no reason to just be honest about you needing help and asking for help. There are more nice people in this world. There are way more nice people in this world than they're not. So people help all the time. And I do feel like if, if someone you admire and you want to pursue, you reach out, you know, there's a very good chance that person responds. Even if they can be like your official mentor, regularly, periodically meet you, even if they give you two suggestions at one time, like that's just enough to just get you that into that direction. Because I, I firmly believe that you have to have that momentum yourself. Your mentor just adjusts your rudder, right? They will not push you. You have to have that momentum. They will just be that rudder for you. Great points. So don't be afraid to reach out and they'll be the rudder to adjust your momentum. Last point on that, just briefly, one or two characteristics of a mentor that you think would make good mentors, what would that be? First of all, someone who has actually done what you're trying to do. Okay. That doesn't mean you have to replicate what they have done, but I think they will be able to share like how they got through their challenges. Your challenges may be different. Otherwise, I think it's more like just academic mentorship. But that person actually has to maybe show you some of those battle wounds of like how they have sustained and actually made it. The other quality in a mentor is that 
a mentor should always give you multiple options. They never should tell you, just do this. They should tell you if you do this. And I feel like somewhere this kind of goes back to our Hindu philosophy of just like there, there is always an action and consequence to things, right? To your point earlier, what would have happened if you had chosen that versus this? So I think a mentor really is someone who opens your mind to options where, okay, this is where you are at this point. If you do this, there's a chance this may happen. If you do this, there's a chance this may happen. Finally, it's up to you that you make that choice because you have to own that choice. And then obviously the consequences that come along with it. So when someone is a kind of like a mentor in the sense of like, they try to push you in a certain direction, I, I feel you might not know if they're truly doing that as a you know favor to you or that's all they know. So a mentor really should be someone who has to open possibilities to you, explain them to you, and then leave the decision up to you. Excellent points. Someone who has kind of done what you are trying to do. And the other thing is not force choices on you, but leave open, give you the choices and leave them open to you. Excellent points, uh, Nikhil. We are coming to the end, Nikhil. I could go on for hours, but I know how busy you are. But at the end, we do a quick lightning round of a couple of quick questions. And we ask this of all our guests. So the first thing is, Nikhil, and you kind of address this during this thing, but just because we build a word cloud around it, is what is your definition of Indianness? People. People, relationships, dynamics across, amongst people. And a level of ingenuity where we grew up in an India that did not serve us things on platter. So we had to find our ways. We had to make our things. And that's changing now. But for me, that is Indianness. Like when I see my kids honestly do some jugad because they haven't received that thing out of a box, I think that's like a proud moment where I feel like, oh, wow, they're born here, they're raised here, but they're Indian kids. You know, that has come up several times. The reason I'm laughing and uh, is because that has come up several times, but it's people, relationship, ingenuity, <laughs> slash jugard, as you rightly said. Final question is, and nobody in your family, somebody who's alive either in India or in the U.S. of Indian origin that inspires you, not in your family. Somebody who is not in my family. Yeah. You can't name your grandfather or your dad. Yeah. Is there someone that, because we ask this to everybody, alive? Alive, yes. There are so many. I don't one, think... One? As always, well, she's not alive anymore, obviously. I always I have always looked up to Lata Mangeshkarji. Not for just the singer, the amazing singer that she was, but also for the human that she was. And she stood up for what she believed in. It was not an easy task for her to stand up to the society to demand that my name should be on the record because I have sung this song because it was not a norm. It was always the names of the actors and the actresses. Second was like, she was asked to perform at the Film for Awards and she was like, you don't have a category for the best singers or playback singers unless you recognize us as a role, a key role being played in movies. Like, I'm not going to perform just to entertain everybody. Again, I mean, I'm sure like people know about this, like her tips. So she was but, a trailblazer. In she was ways. a trailblazer. And I, I always felt like, wow, I mean, for uh, in the 40s, 50s, for a female who really didn't have much of a backing from someone to stand up for her own beliefs, but also at the same time, no one could ever put a finger on her performance, right? Saying this is not adding up to the part or whatever. Like she was just phenomenal. I always looked up to her. I wish there was, I mean, again, you know, probably another living person would be such intended for the sense of what he has accomplished and what he is as a person. I've, I've had the pleasure of interacting with him 
but just the the energy that he is in what he has done i think those are just some of the people who are evergreen inspirations nobody can argue with those two choices nickel great choices uh and thank you again really for the time and also for being open because it's not that easy to be open because again as i said this is not it's also about what others are going to follow up on your journey but so thank you so much and best wishes always thank you so much and i, I really appreciate this opportunity to share my story and kudos to you and your team sanjay for doing this this is much needed as our indian diaspora is growing and you know we have younger generations trying to seek and find their roots i feel like the work that you are and your team is doing is is phenomenal along with what you're doing so thanks uh, again nikhil uh, very inspirational thank you so much thank you so much thanks have a great day thank you for listening to the indianus podcast if you enjoyed this episode please leave a five star review and subscribe to enjoy future inspirational stories 